0: the Pocket Dog Media Studios here in lovely Cleveland, Ohio, this is The edifice of Our Demise. Hello all and welcome to The edifice of Our Demise, the show that takes a loving and longing look at the harbingers of our own doom. I'm your host, Rich Strafalino, and joining me is the irritable Israelite, the irascible insomniac, and the indelible ideologue, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Weinberg. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. I had a thing with eyes today. Uh, I felt uh, very independent and I felt uh, very, I can't think of any other I word right now. So you just, that's the page
1: that your thesaurus was open to?
0: It, no, it, honestly it was, I thought uh, like the word irascible was what started it all out and then it just kind of fell into place from there. Sometimes I do, I do themes, like I will do like all uh, sports themes or like I'll, like one day I'll just do all umpire based themes for your honorifics. And then I'll move on through there. It's whatever strikes my fancy. I like to keep it fresh and funky. Well, speaking of fresh and funky. My rhymes? Oh, right. never mind. All right, Ben, are you ready? Trying to try and hit you up with a segue. Oh, I'm sorry. I've segue denied, I think. We need a sound effect for segue denied. <laughs> One that you will never hear. All right, Ben, are you ready to get the show going?
1: Let's do
0: it. All right, well, let's get it going with a little something I like to call Doom. Or duh, this is where we have uh, just kind of snippets of headlines. And I just want, Ben, your initial reaction, maybe a one sentence or two rebuttal. Uh, We got a little of extended period with a lot of just small items, potentially of the apocalypse, that we need you to determine, Ben. Okay. All right, Ben, first up on Doom or Duh. People being surprised that Ricky Gervais was offensive at the Golden Globes. Doom or Duh?
1: Doom, like that's his whole thing. That's all he's ever done. That's his job. I am being British. Well, okay, but isn't he hired to be offensive? If he weren't offensive, wouldn't wouldn't people be disappointed?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what anyone was expecting, and it, I, I some people were taking offense. He made a Caitlyn Jenner joke, which, all right, whatever. But like, I heard from a variety of sources that it was. I, I can't believe you know he was saying that to people, and
1: it's what he does. Yeah, it's what he does. I forget the first hosting gig he had a couple of years ago where he was everyone's really shocked and then they but it draws attention so they had him back and he's been doing that ever since so i just assume that's why you hired him at this point
0: the only com- er, complaint that i heard that had a little bit of validity was that it seemed like the entire point of his hosting wasn't j- just even to make fun it was to make people that were watching the golden globes feel stupid now you can argue that if you're watching the golden globes you know Maybe, maybe that would be one of your attributes, but like that to me seems not stepping over the line,
1: but that doesn't make it fun. Yes. If it's just mean-spirited on purpose, it's not necessarily fun,
0: but you shouldn't be upset about it. It's Ricky Gervais. He just wants to be controversial. Yeah. All right. Next up, Ben on Doom or Duh Penthouse shuttering their print operations and moving to a completely digital distribution. Doom or Duh.
1: Doom, because how will you read the letters?
0: <laughs> well, you can go online. You can print them out.
1: That's not the same.
0: <laughs> you can, uh, yeah. I, I, well, I know that's why you keep your subscription, Ben. So I know this is going to affect you uh, of big course. time. But, I mean, kind of our, our big purveyors of smut are out of... you. you uh, can you get any print smut at this point? Playboy has taken all of their nudes out of the print magazine. And which we discussed uh, uh, earlier on an earlier episode, and now Penthouse completely shutting the print sphere—is print porn dead, Ben?
1: Well, you know, this is a topic that I care deeply about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have vast knowledge of. Um, I'm assuming like there's a shady stand like in the back of an airport kiosk somewhere where with they just a, with
0: just one copy of Jugs that's been around since
1: 1987. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Uh, I mean, from a business standpoint, I mean, I can't believe that. I mean, with all the stuff on the internet, people would still want a once a month subscription.
0: Yeah, it, it, it quite honestly is shocking that they've been around for this long. I think this at their high point they had five million subscribers. Wow, which, which was, uh,
1: do we know when that was?
0: That would have been in the late '80s, I want to say.
1: Okay. The high time of smut.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was, greed was good and smut was um, hot. Sure, there we go. All right, Ben, next up on Doom or Duh. Book distributor Scholastic pulling a book called A Birthday Cake for George Washington, in which the slaves of George Washington make him a cake. Doom
1: or Duh? Uh, I'm going to go with Duh. That's, that's a tough one. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that one, yeah, on every level, it's hard to justify that one. Yeah, and who is I mean, ordering that, by the way? Yeah, I, I don't know what
0: even the market would be. I guess um, completely oblivious white people. That's what I'm thinking. Is that, is that playing to the Tea Party base? I, I don't know.
1: I, oh, maybe. B-
0: because here's the thing. I mean, I'm sure, we know George Washington was a slave owner. Yes. We know he had a birthday. That makes sense. Presumably there is a tradition of making cakes on his
1: birthday. I'm not sure. Does that does that tradition date back to the this I'm not even
0: sure. Now the one of the characters in the book was based off of the chef in the Washington plantation household, what have you. Uh, So I mean, there is like literally there's a small kernel of truth, but from all accounts, it's a complete whitewashing of you know the horrific institution of slavery.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: So, uh, wow. It's depressing, but also not necessarily a sign of doom. It's a good call by Scholastic, I think. Although, bad call from putting the book out there to begin with.
1: Yes, agreed. All
0: right, Ben. A recent poll of NBA players and management on the dirtiest players voted the top three spots to Australian or New Zealand uh, uh, players. Regional prejudice or mere coincidence, Ben?
1: Ooh. Um, well, like, what, what evidence did they cite of dirty play?
0: Uh. A lot of it was like high hustle plays, but like, you know, getting into a scrum and maybe throwing some elbows or, uh, you know, technical fouls, I think, also came into play. But it was purely based on opinion of players and management.
1: That sounds like a a biased question. I'm going to have to go uh, Doom.
0: Wow. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. Hold on. Oh, we got the Doom in there. All right, Ben. Next up. A fan updating NFL Blitz 2003 with 2015 rosters. Doom or Duh?
1: Doom, but I love it. That was my only <laughs> skill for many years was that game. How is that even possible? I
0: guess I mean, there, is, there, there is a, as most people know or uh, uh, most uh, gamers know, there are a number of emulators available online for a lot of old uh, console systems. So someone got a ROM for NFL Blitz, built an engine around which you could edit the rosters, and then went through and updated every single roster.
1: That's so, that's double doom because the (laughs) advanced amount of work you would have to do for that, not to mention the fact that the whole game of Blitz was meant to be arcade-like. I mean, the players were eight feet tall. You had to get 30 yards to get a first down because they were so huge that pass interference was legal. (laughs) And encouraged. Really, you can't win a game without pass interference. Yeah, so (laughs) it's already not exactly the authentic NFL experience. Nobody's, no character's skill was based on an actual attribute from a real person. so it seems needless anyway.
0: Well, and let's also take a moment to realize that in 2003 you could have a licensed NFL video game where the entire purpose is to harm the other team as much as possible. like that's the entire point is put these gigantic hits. And in the era where we're we're starting to just begin to understand the concussion iceberg uh, that the NFL is hitting into currently and on all of the you know, safety implications that will be coming down the line from that, it seems just like ages away. Like, I, my, my kids will not understand how that was even possible. <laughs> next, yes. up on, next up on Doom or Duh. The unfortunate loss of David Bowie uh, occurred about a week ago uh, as we're recording this, Ben. However, today it was announced that his latest album debuted at number one on the charts for the first time ever in his career. Is this a touching tribute from the fans or perhaps too little
1: too late? Doom... Or duh? I'm going to go with duh. Okay. Because David Bowie did have quite the repertoire. Oh, yes. Uh, he instilled drama into his music uh, almost narratively in a way that uh, not a lot of others did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played characters. He he uh, he always put thought into his music. So the fact that it's popular uh, is not surprising. And I think it's just um, a, f- a fact of the culture when somebody famous dies you you know, any fan is going to spend a minute revisiting that person's work. And well, it, and it,
0: the, j- but then I can understand the greatest hits, right? Because there was a greatest hits compilation that he has that went up to, like, I think, number fifteen, or like it, it charted where it hadn't been even on the charts before this mm-hmm. week with his passing, and that makes sense to me. I get a little sensitive, I guess, when it comes to like falsely uh, appreciating an artist, but. I actually looked back because uh, he came out with an album in 2013 called The Next Day, which actually I, qu- I like quite a lot. Like It's not a, like a late career punt as so many mm-hmm. uh, oh, aging yes. musicians uh, have. That one debuted or didn't debut, but it reached number up to number two on the U.S. charts. So it's not like he hadn't been charting uh, for a really long time. Uh, admittedly, the last two were the first one in the top ten. Uh, in a number of years, but he had albums back in his, uh, you know, kind of when he was a little bit more on the edge of uh, pop culture, hitting up to number three, number four in the 80s, number three in the 70s with Station to Station was his highest charting one for years. So, I mean, it's not like he was uh, like a fringe art, like uh, like a Lou Reed or something like that, where he's an esteemed artist, but maybe not like a super uh, high-selling one. Like, he, he always had some kind of pop appeal, even when he was being avant-garde. But, uh, I I I don't know. I sometimes I, I I feel a little weird about that. Like we're we're guilt buying uh, an album because we didn't appreciate him when he was alive. I always get a little weird about that.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that's the case with David Bowie because, like I said, he's always he was popular. You just said his last album did well, also, and this is a brand new album. Like it, yeah, it just so ju- happened. It, that, it just yeah. yeah,
0: it was a coincidence.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you have to figure that album was going to do well anyway, mm. and now you've got people like this is his last new. Album he's ever gonna put out, and people are thinking about him anyway, so you know, it probably gave him a little bit of a boost. But uh, because he's respectable as an artist, uh, you can't really fault the public for wanting to support his work. If this were somebody like you said, like a late career punt, or he hadn't come out with a new album, or it was somebody who was uh, clearly kind of a uh, like a Billy Ray Cyrus type, for example, <laughs> like yeah, that would be that would be doom. Uh, all over, but uh, you know, David Bowie had quite the career. Oh, um, taking nothing
0: away from his career. I'm, I, you're, you're, in, you're been in, a late. I it was a late come fan yes. to David Bowie, but uh, definitely appreciate uh, his artistry for sure. Oh yes, uh, it's not like I, I guess what I always think of is uh, after Michael Jackson died, they put together that weird album where he had recorded a bunch of vocals but hadn't done any production on the album, and they like slapped together. Like yeah. a bunch of different collaborators to try and get that to come out within a year of him dying. So it's a little different situation with David Bowie. So uh, I'm glad we can resolve that not being a sign of the apocalypse. Ben, I know you're always a fan of uh, tech startups. I know you're, oh, you're a technophile. You believe that technology will solve all our problems. Yes. Uh, so I have a couple uh, new startups here I want to find out doom or duh on uh, as, uh, as we, we confirm that we are firmly in a tech bubble. Okay. Uh, the first one up is Rapify. Rapify. Uh, spelled with a W, and it's a startup that pays people to wrap their cars in ads. Doom
1: or Duh? Oh, interesting. I'm going to go with Duh. I mean, this this uh, is not something I would participate in, but it seems like the logical extension of putting ads everywhere mm-hmm. and you know, use how much time you spend stuck in traffic. Th- there's this primo ad space that you can't help but look at. Uh, and it seems like, uh, I'm surprised this hasn't happened, uh, previously. Well, the only, th- uh, problem I have
0: is, like, when I first was, or first had a car, I would have probably loved the idea of this I had to get some easy money just for driving around, and I'm sure they have some kind of formula for however many miles you drive and what areas. I'm sure there's, you have to get, agree to be tracked Every single time you drive, so they know where you are and how many miles you're driving to see how much that advertising is traveling. But Mm -hmm. I would have loved that, except here's the problem. Anyone that needs, or I feel like most people that need the money that bad or that are willing to wrap their car in ads probably have shitty cars. So I don't know if, if you have a brand that you want to get out there. Do you really want it on like a rusted out 93 Honda Civic?
1: I see. So you don't see, uh, yeah, Cavassier on a Geo Metro?
0: Yeah, that, that to me, and if you have a really nice car, like if I buy a new car, the last thing I want to do is, you know, slap a graphic on there. I want to be able to enjoy some nice car time. Now, yeah, but you, know, you
1: can't see the exterior of your own car when you're in it.
0: So, but by but that, that logic, you would never buy any, like, car that is, quote, sexy.
1: I would not, no. Well,
0: yes. <laughs> 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 that is why the silver Saturn still rides.
1: <laughs> That's right. It's coming up on its 14th birthday. <laughs>
0: Well, be that – as so would – on what grounds would you not like this? Would you not like the probably invasive tracking or the fact that you're a complete sellout by doing this?
1: Um, <laughs> you are a complete sellout. As long as you're comfortable with that. Yeah, as long wrong.
0: as you've never bought in, you really can't sell out.
1: That's correct. Now, um, you know, there are certain things I would not agree to endorse. Like, sure. I don't, I don't know if you'd want, like, cigarettes on your car or whatever, but uh, – um, you know, I'm not looking at my own car and I already have no shame, so I don't see what's stopping me.
0: Contact Rapify. Uh, you can get uh, the Silver Saturn all wrapped up. Oh, maybe you can do like a Coors Light uh, ad. You can have the Silver Bullet on the Silver Saturn.
1: That would be something, yeah. Or something plasticky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something rust proof because it has no metal.
0: Oh, uh, too good. All right. And then the other startup uh, is it's a service, it's called Bark and Borrow. And it's a service basically that is a social network for dog-sitting volunteers.
1: Oh, okay.
0: The, um, I- the idea being, like, say you live in an apartment, you can't own a dog, but you still want to hang out with a dog, like a cute dog, or you want to go on, a- take a dog for a walk. Okay. You can go on there. People make profiles for their pets. You can go on there and say, hey, I'd like to walk that dog at 6 o'clock tonight. And presumably, I, don't, I didn't see anything about any kind of vetting. It just seems like a recipe for someone to steal your dog yeah, very, so- very
1: easily. You you offered to do something at a specific time? Yes. So it, wouldn't it be like, you know, um, Rich and Jackie need buttons walked at 6 o'clock and then somebody volunteers to do it at 6 o'clock? Like, what if you don't need your dog walked at a spe- that specific time?
0: I mean, to be honest, if I can get that dog out of the house, you know, <laughs> for even five minutes apiece, it would be a blessing. But uh, I, I'm not sure how the logistics of it work, but just the idea of... People needing that kind of arbitrary companionship, like uh, like on demand, seems to me a little weird.
1: Yeah, it does. I agree.
0: Hmm. Just get a gerbil. You know, you can keep that in the apartment. Yes, it's soulless and doesn't do anything, and it just kind of eats, but, you know, you can pet well, it or that,
1: If you're that sad that you're using this app, that's probably describing you, too. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're gonna see virtual reality pets i'm sure are gonna be like a huge or no augmented reality pets right where we put on the glasses we still are in our apartment but just all of a sudden there's just this pet that you can see sitting there and give you the idea of companionship guaranteed 10 years it's happening
1: that's definitely a sign of the apocalypse because as you may recall, it's from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and anything from an Arnold movie that comes true is an immediate sign of the apocalypse. You may recall The Sixth Day and the Repet phenomenon, where they will clone your pet and bring it back to life in a new shell. And I, I choose, to not, to, I choose
0: to not recall the movie The Sixth Day, I, just on the record.
1: Well, much like what happens in the movie, it's burned into my brain and cannot be uh, forgotten.
0: Is that the one where he has like the weird like things over his eyes in the poster?
1: Um I don't or is know that the one where that.
0: he's the de- isn't there one where there's like a devil coming? Isn't that the 6th day? That's, that's End of Days. End of Days. Okay. Yes, yeah, so there I'm was sorry.
1: a period where he was all about the days. No, <laughs> the 6th day is the one where uh they find out that they can clone you from DNA and okay. uh he I, something happens to I forget. It's like a cross between um uh, Total Recall and uh, iRobot kind of like apparently he's a clone but doesn't know it and he doesn't know why there's another copy of him in his house it's really not worth discussing anymore. I only brought it up because...
0: That is the a- poster I'm thinking of. I just Googled it. Confirmed. Okay. Poster with Arnold with weird things over his eyes.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. Because that's what recorded... You have to take a snapshot of your memory. Mm-hmm. I remember this much more than I should, <laughs> having seen it We'll only be once. coming
0: back to Schwarzenegger Talk next week uh, here okay. on The Edifice of Our Demise. Uh, all right, Ben, are you ready for a little apocalypse check? <laughs> We're going to run down some items, uh, Some go into a little bit more discussion than what we were doing with Doom or Duh here on the Apocalypse Check. First one up, Ben, I wanted to talk about kind of the winter doldrums of Hollywood are upon us, and I wanted to bring up a couple movies uh, that I, I saw were coming out in February in the February dump zone, although I have seen an unusual amount of potentially decent to like slash prestige pictures that are coming out, like that Coen Brothers Hail Caesar mm-hmm. is coming out, which doesn't that doesn't seem like a February release, right?
1: It's I don't know with them because they're so weird. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they're doing this on purpose. The cast
0: was so loaded. It felt like one of those weird um, like New Year's Eve movies where it's just full of stars.
1: Yeah, but they're all in it for one second each.
0: <laughs> I feel like George Clooney is going to be like that in that movie where he's just in it for five seconds, like at the beginning and the end. And it's, I mean, not that, the, the like I said, the whole cast is star-studded, so it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but Ben, here are some of, the, uh, some of the items that we want to run down. I want to rank them from uh, uh, potentially not the worst movie ever to definitely the worst movie ever. Are you ready? Okay. All right, first one up is the, uh, I'm sure, hilarious parody movie, Fifty Shades of Black. From The People That Brought You White Chicks and Scary Movie 9.
1: Okay, so the weigh-ins, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, so, all right, that one sounds pretty bad. All mm-hmm. right, what else? Am I, wait, I, I have to hear them all before I can yes, rank yes, them, right? Yes, yes,
0: okay. uh, Next up, we have Pride and Prejudice and Zombies taking okay. a joke book idea and making it into a full-length feature film, which did wonders for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter.
1: So, if you have... Do two, do two joke negatives make a positive... If you have a sarcastic book about a real book, and then you make the sarcastic movie about the sarcastic, book, it then
0: becomes deadly serious. Does it? I hope so. That's. I feel like that's the only way this movie can be redeemed.
1: Well, it seems so. Like it. It, it seems to. Em- I saw the trailer once. It seems to embrace its zaniness, mm-hmm. so it doesn't take itself too seriously. That might be a feather in its cap, as opposed to like. Um, an Aaron Sorkin movie where it thinks it's going to single-handedly solve all the world's problems. So I'm not going to immediately call that one terrible. I'll I'll withhold some judgment here. What else we got? All right, we got Zoolander two. Okay. Just it just I'm always wary whenever you get
0: the ten year later sequel, more than yes. ten years. You know, uh, I I feel like the moment for this movie is gone, and this can only be a cash grab, right?
1: I've got I've got to think so. Also, Zoolander one was a movie that only was good in retrospect. I don't remember anybody liking that when it came out. And then I remember that being the thing in high school where you could look back and like a little bit later when, uh, those guys were a little more famous and had done some other things. It was f- fun that it was kind of terrible.
0: Yeah. It was kind of your ironic hipster, you know, movie where it's so dumb. It's fun. You know, I, yeah, I don't, it, it I, I feel like this is, we're an anchorman to,
1: uh, territory yes. here. I was just about to say anchorman. Yeah. It's, it's, No one thinks it's a good movie, but some of the quotes are so dumb and they apply to enough situations that you would just quote it sometimes and it would get some mileage that way. So not saying it's a good movie, but uh, it's that
0: SNL factory movie um, kind of feel to it where, again, it's really like taken as a whole. It's bad, but there are Mm. funny little vignettes or moments that you can take out of it again because usually they are so ridiculous right and then finally uh, and this is my uh personal uh favorite one gods of egypt which is a movie that is becomes i feel like it's so radioactive like no one wants to acknowledge it i've seen one preview of it and it was i've never seen anything on tv for it as of yet i've seen one preview in the theater for it no one seems to want to acknowledge this movie at all I thought they made this movie a couple of years ago. Uh, you're with, thinking uh, of Noah or The Exodus? They, they, we've been kind of having a little bit of a glut of uh, religious-themed uh,
1: movies. Because I, I distinctly remember they made a movie about Egyptians and it was all full white people. Oh, uh, that's every movie do. about
0: Egyptians <laughs> okay. uh, and from Hollywood, just FYI. Okay,
1: but I could have sworn there was a movie that starred Christian Bale.
0: Uh, you are That's one of the, yeah, Exodus of Gods and Kings, I think it was. Okay. That, and I this believe is called that's what the now? Christian is- belt. This is called "Gods of Egypt," starring uh, notable um, uh, white people: Joffrey uh, Rush, okay, Gerard Butler, and Corey Eaton. Is she? I don't know who she is. Hold on.
1: I don't know who and I mean I've heard. Joffrey the-
0: Rush was um, Captain Barbosa in the. I mean, he's been a, a hundred things.
1: Jeffrey, he, Ru- I probably know him if I saw him.
0: Joffrey. It's Geoffrey. Josh. Gerard excuse. Butler, a guy from 300. Sure. And um, I'm trying to go throughout here. But, like, everyone, it features one of the guys, it stars one of the guys from Game of Thrones who is, like, pasty white. He is a Nordic-looking gentleman, uh, so I don't know why he would be in there at all. Um, yeah, it just, I I don't know, how like, how many producers this had to go through when everyone was like, yeah, the casting looks super solid. Not going to cause any kind of controversy whatsoever.
1: So, but... And what what is it about? I haven't seen anything about it.
0: It's essentially uh yet another um it, it's not biblical necessarily but it's it's aping a lot of the imagery from uh you know ancient Egyptian mythology and putting that together into a hero uh, your typical hero's journey kind of movie.
1: Well, that sounds terrible.
0: Yes. Uh so, and it only cost 140 million, so I'm sure it won't totally bomb.
1: Yeah, right. So, Objectively speaking, mm-hmm. I'm going to say Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is at the top of the list as the best not terrible movie. Okay. It seems to at least, uh, you know, it's a genre that embraced itself at first, making mm-hmm. fun of another genre. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's uh, it's it's a effective version of um, uh, Fifty Shades of Black, so to speak, like the way the Wayans just... They'll make a joke about ten different movies, and that's kind of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 one extended SNL sketch that isn't very good to begin with. So I'm gonna make that the worst. The tricky thing is now is the Egyptian movie full of white people mm-hmm. better or worse than what's my other choice? Uh, your other choice is Zoolander Two. Oh right, of course. Hmm, that's tricky. I'm going to have to say Zoolander 2 is going to be better than Ooh. whatever the Egyptian movie full of white people is because at least it's supposed to be kind of stupid. And yeah, it, if you look at it and think it's kind of stupid, then, you know, well, that what did you expect?
0: <laughs> yeah, or, it, it, there, yeah. There is, it, at least it's honest about what it is as opposed to trying to blind you with spectacle in uh, uh, Gods of Egypt with uh, glistening white people.
1: Right. It's, it's hard to imagine how you can earnestly try to make that movie. By the way, since mm-hmm. we're talking about movies that were pitched in earnest that really couldn't have been, have you seen the preview for the movie called The Boy? The Boy? I don't believe so. This, this woman <laughs> answers an ad to be a babysitter for a long weekend, mm-hmm. and she goes to this house, and there's this elderly couple who has to go away. Yeah,
0: uh, okay. I have. I didn't realize yes. what it was, but I have seen this preview. It's with the, the doll.
1: Yes, and the ba- the kid is a doll. <laughs> I mean, first of all, how could, you, how could you possibly have pitched this movie and had them take you seriously? Because
0: the bar for horror, it seems like, now is... E- I mean, basically, if it, you can have five jump scares in a horror movie, you have a chance of being the next... Um, uh, what's, uh, um, oh, what's the hidden camera one? Yeah. Um, paranormal activity. activity. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about jump scares. Is this one going to be rated PG-13? Because if it is, I'm going to be severely disappointed. Well, I'm just. Because it seems like there's like just weak ass horror recently where it's like, we're not going to try to be unsettling. We're just going to try and uh, maybe make you jump out of your seat, and that's going to be about it.
1: Well, I just remember at the end of the trailer, it says the website for this is Boy Movie. Do not Google Boy Movie, <laughs> especially at work. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> you will get a visit from the FBI.
0: That's a good recipe to be a red dot in a Google map. Mm hmm. Oh, God. All right, Ben. Uh, Next up on the Apocalypse Check, moving and perhaps slightly more serious territory, Ben. Uh, i go the, the other way. Yes, yes. The true crime series is seeming uh, is going under a little bit of a renaissance. I don't know if you've noticed this, Ben. Uh, but ben. whereas it used to be something that you would see maybe on some small uh, uh, local cable channel or something like that, we're seeing a lot of prestige series doing investigative reporting on ruled murder cases where like convictions have been made. Uh, this goes all the way from uh, the podcast Serial, which... Uh, put podcasting kind of on a map or on a scale that it hadn't been on before uh, to the jinx on HBO to making a murderer now on Netflix kind of becoming the new hotness. Is this just morbid curiosity or does it speak to a more fundamental distrust of the justice system that could undermine society as we know it, Ben?
1: Well, I think I'm going to be even more cynical and say it's just an excuse for people to capitalize uh, on a trend that uh, serial singularly made interesting. Because serial does not attempt to take a side. I mean, you can kinda of think that, okay, they think he at least got a raw deal if he if, if he's not innocent, but Serial doesn't purposefully have it purposely does not have a conclusion. As opposed to the Jinx, I've never quite bought that he accidentally confessed, not realizing he's on mic just as the finale's supposed to air. That seems a little too tidy. Uh, and as far as um What's the other one? Making a murderer, mm-hmm. uh, according to uh, a number of sources, the filmmakers per- um, specifically left out certain things to, you know, sort of bias the audience um, and and generate sympathy that way. Now, of course, the opposing counsel is going to say something like that, but it's uh, it's still clearly not even handed filmmaking. So it just seems to me after the success of serial. Uh, others are trying to capitalize on the same trend, but not in the same um, unbiased or at least close to it manner.
0: Yeah, it, it it's a little weird for me because I just watched the Jinx a couple weeks ago, and I can't argue that it's it it's com- it's certainly compelling. Like I, I binge watched it over the course of like two days or something like that because I wanted to see where it was going. I wanted to you know see the story unravel. And it, it did it does make you feel like a little bit of a uh, like a morbid voyeur in a lot of ways because you are getting this very intimate access you're kind of you you there, you get a certain satisfaction of of a little bit of the investigative process as you're going along and discovering you know as the filmmakers are laying out the facts before you or the facts that they choose to present before you. Uh, you know you you kind of uh it's like you know hitting the button for another food pellet every time you watch a new episode or something like that you crave it and you crave it and you want to you want to reach some kind of conclusion and i do have a lot of respect i know a lot of people are upset with cereal for the way they kind of ended uh the the season with uh anon sayed uh and his kind of a whole ordeal and trial and uh, conviction and the investigation into that i mean they never set out like the at the beginning they didn't say we're gonna you know Come, to, we're gonna upset a you know a, a convicted murderer or something like that. They just said they were telling a story over so many weeks, and yes, they gave you evidence that would push you maybe to believe one thing or another. But every time they would do so, they would come back and say, "Well, here's why the prosecution believed this, and here's why this happened." And there seemed to be a lot of disclosure going on. It's pretty typical of public radio. You could argue that makes it less compelling. You know, it chooses not to create a tidy narrative and cho- and sometimes shows you uh, uh, some of the murkiness or some of the uh, th- how the sausage is made, as it were. Whereas something like the jinx, I feel like is I and mean, maybe this is because it's just a lot of it is based solely around an interview as opposed to or interviews as opposed to uh, uh, further investigative uh Uh, processes or whatever uh that seemed so much more directional and you do get that great conclusion at the end i agree with you it does seem a little convenient
1: yes now on a parody note have you seen the episode of south park about informative murder porn no
0: god (laughs) is that in the latest season
1: uh, I don't know if it's the latest season, but it's one of the recent ones, and it pretty much describes uh, America's obsession with the phenomenon you just described.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I can't argue that it, it's not. I mean, I will probably at some point this year watch Making a Murderer because one, everyone's talking about it, and I don't want to be left out because I'm a sheep, so I need to be in the loop. Of course, uh, but two, it like it is entertaining on a certain level. I just think it gets problematic when you present something as authoritative. Um, and you're, you're, you're choosing to show certain things. And it's not like I can go to the making a murderer website and look at everything that the filmmakers had access to and come to my own conclusions. I really only get their set of the facts. And I really don't even get, uh, any kind of, you know, what the original process of the trial was. I'm only getting, uh, uh, exactly what they want me to see. And that's what makes it entertaining. And I'm not trying to say that they're purposely even being duplicitous you know they may be coming at this from the best of intentions i certainly don't want to imply that but when you're trying to create an entertainment product that's based on either selling ads or getting people to subscribe to a you know a hot new show you are going to prioritize entertainment over necessarily facts
1: yes agreed
0: so just a little uh where where does it go is it is it uh what was the uh, south park one uh murder informative
1: murder, murder porn <laughs>
0: maybe maybe not too far off from that ben do you enjoy any of those like did you, uh, you watch the jinx i assume from your comments
1: uh no i've i'm <laughs> i've read about it i've looked into it i uh didn't i have not seen it but i the whole thing with uh he confessed that that like that just seemed too tiny uh well, they. So i'm they, yes.
0: If you haven't watched it, um, they're interviewing Robert Durst and yes. they set it up in an earlier episode that he doesn't realize that the mics are on when the interviewer like goes to get a, to the bathroom or goes to get a glass of water that the mics are yeah. still hot. And they set that up earlier and he says something that's kind of suspicious or weird. And so at the very end, spoiler, he like goes to the bathroom, his mic's still on, and he basically says that he killed two people.
1: Yeah, but it, so if that's the case... How can they not like just immediately turn that into the authorities?
0: Well, he's been since that aired, he's been wanted uh, for uh, at least for comment or interview by various police departments. I know right after that came out, there was talk of reopening investigations and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, but even like in, like when that immediately happens, like not even the episode, like once like the producers hear him yeah, basically oh, confess, how can they not immediately turn that into the police?
0: You would you would think I I assume they would have to have some kind of disclosure, although you know to get him to agree to do that, I don't know what kind of um, oversight they would demand, like his his representation would demand based on that, like that again gets into kind of when you're dealing outside of um, you know, a official, uh, invest, you know, police investigation, you can, uh, a lot of, co- you know, um, commercial contract, uh, uh, legalese. And again, it robs it of the authority that it pretends to have.
1: Yeah. And I get, I mean, can, can they say it's a production? Like it's not, you know, the chain of, uh, custody or whatever they call it for evidence is not the same, obviously in a HBO production. Like, so they can cast doubt on it that way. So it's not like officially evidence. Maybe, I don't know, but it just seemed like the way that unfolded seemed to be artificially generating buzz, uh, as opposed to cereal, which like went out of its way not to pick a side. Uh, you, well, and, so yeah.
0: And also, um, it's, it's a little bit of a different situation where, uh, in the jinx, The filmmakers are kind of specifically going after... I mean, it all starts when Robert Durst wants to get interviewed by this guy that made a movie about him, right? So it it becomes very oppositional to him being a guilty party, whereas Serial is... Looking into someone who was convicted of murder and then looking into kind of the politics of that situation of the area that he grew up of, you know, uh, what, where Baltimore was in that moment uh, when this occurred and the uh, various cultural forces that were going on. So it gets uh, it, it's not so much oppositional to another person that they believe to be guilty as opposed to trying to give you a picture of why maybe this conviction isn't as airtight as you know, it looks on the surface.
1: I suppose. So do you think, um, does that ruin it for you? Like if you know the filmmakers have picked a side, um, does that alter the way you watch it? I mean, can you, can you watch it as a documentary knowing that
0: I, if I knew that there was something, um, because I've, I've heard, I I would, I guess I would have to read some of the think pieces that have been written on, uh, Making a Murderer. Uh, about some of the the footage that they chose, left out of the evidence that they chose to leave out. I just saw the headlines to them. I didn't click through, um, so I guess I would do my research before I got into it. But if I mean, clearly, if they're not representing some is facts uh, accurately and they're uh, uh, trying to force you into a false conclusion, I would have take a, a big issue with that. Um, you know that that's uh, then you're just getting into tabloid journalism at that, which you could ar- already argue this kind of is veering into. Um, but If I'm not saying uh, uh, something has to be completely transparent for it to be entertaining to me or interesting to me, Um, I guess when it's oppositional, it's it makes it very easy for you to take that side, whereas a more general investigation is seems a little bit more accurate. I I would rather someone cast doubt on a situation than try and attack one particular individual just because I know they're setting me up to be in opposition to that person.
1: But isn't that too easy? I mean, you can always cast doubt on something. There's always going to be one fact that doesn't jibe. that <laughs> if you frame it right can seem to undermine the whole case when really it may or may not even be relevant.
0: Well, I, I don't mind that necessarily because that might one for me on a situation that I didn't know was going on, like a lot of the stuff they brought up in serial. I just found interesting because I'm not. I'm not from Baltimore. I didn't grow up in this, you know, particular town. So it was interesting to learn about some of the cultural dynamics that were going on there. It was interesting to learn about how, uh, you know, the uh, the way the defense and the prosecution went at the case uh, affected the trial. Like it was interesting beyond just the particulars of the case and the personalities beyond that. It was kind of a um, a, a a good way to get information on how prosecuting a murder and getting a conviction in a murder trial works and that was interesting in and of itself and if it gets me to a point where i want to look into something more by casting doubt maybe on something and making me do my own research i think that can be good uh for like a public perspective you know where if if you're getting people interested in something i don't think that's bad i think it's bad when you're you know going to be having people like uh Looking at one specific person, if Serial had come out and said, we think this guy did it, I would lose a lot of respect for it because it's it's a, that's a little too easy. Because they're putting themselves, obviously, as judge, jury, and kind of executioner at that point.
1: Yeah. In the case of Serial, I would agree. But, like, the, the erstwhile example that comes to mind is The Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a TV movie that I have not seen, like, maybe in the 90s or the early 2000s that was more like um, – more like making murder or the jinx and of course there was the david fincher uh which was not billed as it was not pretending to be a documentary but it was a um supposedly based on you know th- the actual zodiac uh killings but there were all kind of facts uh that in like just with no context mm-hmm. make you think like wow there's something deeper here and then there not necessarily is like apparently, <laughs> um, he everyone the Zodiac killed was like pie was some kind of like particular radius apart around a certain mountain in California, mm-hmm. like but that's such an arcane thing to discover. <laughs> I mean that could be just like he happened to like not kill in the same pa- in the same place to try to not get caught, or it could be that he's insane. Um, but like that's just the kind of like fact it's so quirky it seems like fake drama to me yeah, because like, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't by itself lead anywhere
0: yeah it, because our brains seek patterns we have to think that's significant in some way because it's so like why else would that occur in nature
1: yeah and there's another in the zodiac uh, situation apparently um he was ambidextrous and as someone who is ambidextrous i Don't take kindly to being associated with uh, (laughs) mass murderers. But so he apparently because the Zodiac killer would send ransom notes to various uh, California papers Mm -hmm. or not ransom notes, but like threatening letters or he was going to do this or that or he would taunt the police after his crimes. And the, uh, the actual killer apparently had been a suspect at one point and they did a handwriting analysis. But the note that he wrote was with the other hand than when they tested him or something. And so, like that was supposed to be an important salient point, point. and then, like at the end of the story, uh, the handwriting analysis is kind of a drunk, so you can't really trust anything he says. Like as a whole, <laughs> like the the fact was completely obscured, and obviously they're making this way after it happened, so the the arc of that narrative uh, is entirely artificial. Um, so I feel like that's the case, closer to the case in The Jinx or Making a Murderer, where they're capitalizing on a real story to generate some verisimilitude, uh, but because of the way it's presented, you can't take it as true. Like, you have to watch it completely as fiction. That doesn't mean it's not a good story, but I feel like we're told to, to pay attention to this because it's so real, but it's actually not. And so my cynicism, unfortunately... Uh, has to give a thumbs down to this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would say I wouldn't look at these, uh, and I'm sure we're going to see dozens of other uh, attempts at this over the next you know, couple of years as these uh, continue to be popular. Don't take them uh, as a source to uh, start some advocacy for you know, trying to find the true murder or something like that. I would just take them as a- a- ways to continue your education about something. And if it causes you to do more research and to look into something more, if you find it interesting... I think that's OK, and I think that's can can be a good of uh, some of these uh, various programs and to be entertaining because they are, again, it, it feeds a part of your brain that has a weird, morbid curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's why, you know, murder mysteries and the murder and cop procedurals are on the air because we want that, you know, we want some kind of resolution. and We want to be in on the chase, you know, so um, as long as you're not taking it as a point of advoca- advocacy, I think you'll be OK.
1: Yeah, have you ever seen, like, an Errol Morris movie? Uh, I don't believe so. uh, So he made a lot of these documentaries. Like, he made The Thin Blue Line, which was a... uh, There was a murder of a cop in Dallas at what was supposed to be a routine traffic stop, I think in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And he... Errol Morris himself is a uh, director, and he never appears. He never says anything. There's no voiceover. Um, It's entirely between interviews and recreations. Um, And he'll do some close-ups of, like... Uh, newspaper articles, there's other things Um, but like he uh, was kind of the auteur uh, of this genre where um, because he never appears you don't realize he's trying to lead you to a particular conclusion. Gotcha. So that's the kind of subtlety that uh, I was reminded of when you were talking about the way these are are constructed. So just take everything with a grain of salt um, but that doesn't mean it's not worth watching uh in its own right certainly
0: not yeah and i mean i guess the basic philosophy is trust no one of course
1: I, and, that's my philosophy anyway
0: and sleep with one eye open always well i think that brings us uh, just about to the end of the edifice of our demise ben i think we've reached a, a proper uh, low point uh in the show and in our lives uh to end the show on uh, if that's cool with you uh,
1: uh, uh low point for now ah uh, yes yes or low point al- so far what does homer simpson say
0: <laughs> can always get worse i don't know yeah yeah
1: <laughs> the worst day of your life so far.
0: <laughs> all right, well, we'll be back next Monday uh, with another brand spanking new episode with all sorts of doom, duh, apocalypse checks, and all sorts of goodness. Ben, any final words before we take off? As usual, no. He's consistent, folks. If you have any stories that you think are a sign of the end of days, we encourage you to send them to us at Twitter, on Twitter at EdificeDemise, Facebook.com slash EdificeOfOurDemise, and EdificeOfOurDemise at gmail.com. All great ways to get those our way. I got to do a quick plug. If you enjoyed this show, uh, I have another podcast coming up. It's called The Novelization Realization Project. I did it la- uh, about a year ago, and I'm kind of bringing it back. We're talking about Howard the Duck, novelization for that and it's a little bit surprising you might want to check it out Uh, that's at novelizationrealization.tumblr.com or just find it in itunes that'll be going up tuesday morning so check that out uh so yeah uh until next time we meet remember everyone have a super sparkly
1: day unless the apocalypse gets you first holler